invitation to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I've run to the Father. I've fallen to grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend.
Have you ever been on a team? I bet you have. I bet you've been on a team. We are in a series this month called uh, Seasons of Life. Last week we talked about uh, answering that question, what season of life are you in? Today we're asking the question, who's your team uh, in this season of life? A team. What was a team like that you were on? What are the most memorable teams you've been a part of? Uh, do you like being on a team? Do you like leading a team? Do you like being a supportive, active participant in a team? Uh, one thing I can tell you for sure, no matter what your answer might be, is that teams are absolutely essential in life. Uh, teams are small communities with a very specific purpose. Teams are a form of community with a specific and specialized purpose. That's why a group is not a team. Uh, a team typically is a small group of people, a relatively small group of people, with a specialized uh, focus and mission. Uh, the greatest teams have a virtuous mission. Now, a gang is a team. Uh, it's a tribal team. Uh, there are tribal teams that are based on ethnicity, uh, you know, family relationships, uh, language groups, etc. Uh, gangs are, are teams, uh, but they're vicious teams, right? Uh, they promise to give support and safety to the members, but you have to get beat up and abused to get into the team, and then the whole idea is that team then would find ways to uh, abuse other people. So if you're going to take a, a, a team approach, the lowest level of team uh, would be something like a gang, uh, with nefarious, often illegal and immoral uh, ends, and yet in a perverse sort of way, what they're trying to get to is a sense of deep community. So even a gang would say, no, no, you don't understand a gang because we, we, what we are is a community. Yes, you are. But you don't, and you have, do have a specific purpose. Uh, you do have a specialized purpose, uh, but it's not virtuous. It's not a virtuous mission. Uh, when you think of a team, uh, from a biblical perspective, you might immediately think of David's mighty men. Uh, David, uh, who became the great king of Israel around 1000 B.C., had this big mission, a big missional challenge uh, to rise up and fulfill what had been prophesied uh, about him by Samuel, that you are God's hand-chosen man to lead your people. And now there were big obstacles in the way, and God brought around David, uh, a group of men whom the Bible refers to as mighty men. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the name Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in captivity, is released to go back to Jerusalem uh, with a team, a group of men, and, and, and joining with some men who were already back in Jerusalem to rebuild uh, the walls of the city. Uh, they built, rebuilt part of the temple, but now they needed to rebuild the walls of the city. And so Nehemiah's team discovered that it was so dangerous because they were being constantly attacked that they had to carry a weapon even as they carried the bricks to rebuild, and the stones to rebuild the city. And that formed them, melded them into a, into a very tight team with a specific and specialized purpose for a very virtuous mission to rebuild the walls, to protect the temple, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But they had to have each other's back, literally, uh, for sure. Uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, certainly a team, a very diverse uh, team. You might say a completely dysfunctional team at one level, uh, fighting with each other, arguing with each other. Some, one person was a zealot. Um, uh, how do we know? Because he called himself that. <laughs> uh, I want the immediate overthrow of the present government. I want to reestablish the nation of Israel. All the members of the team wanted that, but in different ways. And so you had uh, people who were business people, like Matthew, the tax collector, uh, uh, Peter, John, uh, Andrew, the fisherman. 
But they had a very specific, specialized uh, mission, and it was virtuous. So great teams always have a virtuous mission. Well, what does that mean? It means that the, the mission itself brings the best out in the team members. And from the team members, that best is a net blessing to the world. Uh, so, for example, you can have some companies that function, uh, businesses that function like gangs. They're vicious. They're vicious to the people in the company. Let's work them to death. Burn them and burn them. Uh, and let's treat our customers uh, just as commodities and objects of, of profit-making. Uh, they don't last very, very long, or if they do, uh, it's not fun to do business with them. The greatest business teams, um, oh, by the way, uh, dysfunctional teams always have an enemy, a perceived enemy. It's usually another team. Uh, there are competitors in the marketplace, another gang. But a virtuous team has a larger mission. So if you asked a, a really healthy big pharma company, you, you take a Pfizer, let's say, uh, Eli Lilly, and if you said, uh, do you guys hate each other? Uh, no, we, we do compete in the marketplace, but you know what Pfizer would say? Our enemy is cancer. Our big mission is to destroy cancer. Eli Lilly would say, our big mission is to you know, combat this thing that affects people. And around those, uh, those values and that mission, they, they're a functioning, profit-making enterprise, but they have this larger mission. They're not just competing in the marketplace. They're competing for a, a, a large, virtuous mission that they know uh, will make a difference in the world. So at their best, teams are absolutely essential for, for the world to thrive and flourish. God works through teams. God raises up people to be in teams. Uh, so in this season of life, who is your team? Who is your personal, functional community with a specific specialized purpose? You might be part of a congregation, which is a group of sorts, uh, the congregation, though, uh, really represents a very specific, specialized purpose, to be the people of God. And within that congregation, there's all kinds of needs and, and uh, interests. And so teams form around those problems, those opportunities, uh, uh, within and beyond the community. So who is uh, your team, uh, your personal, functional community in this season of your life? Uh, certainly family, friends, colleagues, mentors, fellow travelers are part of your team. Now, let me give you an example, kind of a fun example of a team. Uh, you might not know this, but you can get to Bend, Oregon in two hours from San Diego on a plane, right? You can go down to Lindbergh Field, get on a plane, Alaska or United or some other uh, airline, and you can get to Bend, Oregon in, in two hours. Why would you want to go to Bend, Oregon? It's a beautiful place on the eastern side of the Cascades. Jan and I went up there on Friday to fish. I went, up, went Wednesday night, met my brother and his wife up there, uh, and uh, we went fishing on Friday. So we could have just gone fly fishing and slapped the water a little bit in one small area. Um, but instead, we arranged for a guide who had a boat, and this guide served a number of purposes. Uh, first of all, he watched us fishing and said, hey, here's some things you can do differently or better uh, fishing. I hadn't been fly fishing in at least a year and a half, a couple of years. Uh, and so uh, you're rusty, and so here's this guide saying, hey, here's, the, here's what we're going to fish uh, here's, here's how uh, the flies we're going to use uh, for this season, this day. Uh, let's, let's just practice a little bit. Okay, good, great, okay. Let's get in the boat. And we, then you can cover miles and miles and miles all day long uh, and see a lot of the river. Meanwhile, the guide is coaching you. And you're functioning, you're fishing, but the guide is helping you get the most out of the experience. And so you really become a team for the day. 
uh, you're, you're functioning together, you have a specific purpose. It's a, what, what is more righteous than fly fishing? I mean, I can't think of anything, hardly. So teams uh, allow you to do more than you could do on your own. Individuals could do great things. We could have gone fishing, but a team approach with a leader uh, can, uh, can allow us to go places we otherwise couldn't go, do things that we otherwise couldn't do. And when those teams are significant enough, that is, there's a lot of uh, important stuff at stake. I mean, we were just having a fun day fly fishing. But if you have been uh, a, a rescue professional, you've been a, a military person, you've been a first responder, you've been part of some startup of an organization that has a big mission, uh, it's, it's so all-encompassing, it's so powerful an experience that these are hard to replicate. And where do you go from a team that's been so high-functioning and pulled everything out of you and given you a sense of meaning and purpose and, and allowed you to be a better version of yourself? Where do you go after that? So team experiences are so powerful when they're at their best, they're hard to replicate unless you capture the elements of that team, a virtuous mission, a deep concentration on something that is, is, includes you, but is bigger than you. And, and, and not only benefits you, but blesses people uh, in, in the work that you do. So athletes, soldiers, musicians, actors, first responders, techies, all can talk about great teams. Uh, I talked to a woman recently who uh, is a professional in her field, very good at what she does. Uh, but she would say that the formative experience in her young life, uh, besides coming from her family, was she was on a girls softball team. Uh, when she was in high school, and they went to the World Series of softball. She's from a very small town. They were undefeated. Uh, they got to this tournament. They're undefeated until the very end. They, they lost to a team who then went on to win the World Championship. Crushing blow for these girls, having won all these games, having been represented and supported by their, their small community uh, in Washington State to go, to go back east for this big event. The neat thing was... It, was so, it so shaped her in terms of what success felt like, but also it shaped her in terms of what failure felt like at a high level and how to cope with it. In fact, the, the town that she came from was so supportive of these girls that they threw a big parade when they got back, and they created a, a really wonderful um, tribute to them that to this day exists. So 30 years later, there's still this tribute in that town with all these girls' names on it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Uh, experience. So they had experienced this camaraderie and intensity, purpose and aliveness from being on a great team that in a sense set them up for the rest of their life. So this woman then going forward is, is keen not to try to recapture those glory days of, of, uh, of youth and, and sports, but to say, what were the elements in that team that I can bring forward with me into my professional life, into my com community life, into the life I have in my congregation and church I attend and, and go to? Powerful. You see that? You have this internalized template paradigm for what a great team could and should be. Uh, Scott Schimmel preached a couple weeks ago. Scott has been very much involved in helping Navy SEALs transition from the SEAL teams uh, to the rest of their life under the auspices of the Honor Foundation, a fantastic organization. And U School has been a critical core component to help people understand who they are. Not just how to do great things, but who are you? And based on who you are and what you've learned and the values that you've embraced, what would that look like for you to carry that forward? Certainly not in the intensity of being a SEAL, but with the same commitment and, and uh, commitment to excellence and camaraderie and the intensity. You've got the work ethic. What does that look like applied in other ways? 
on your own, it would be impossible. But with a guide, all of a sudden you move into a whole new season of life and say, I had no idea I could be on another team that would have some of the same elements as that one that so shaped me. So one of the questions I want to ask you is who can you depend on and who can depend on you? That's one of the key barometers of a great team. Is there somebody who knows that they can depend on you? They're not putting the burden of, of success on you, but they're saying, can I depend on you as we move toward what constitutes success in this virtuous mission that we have? Who can depend on you and, and who can you depend on? That's, an, that's a question you want to ask. And you say, well, I, I can't think of anyone. Then maybe that's the next step you need to take in terms of what would it look like for you to be part of a team? Or perhaps you're on a team, leading the team, and you think, gosh, I don't know. If, that's a good question. I don't know if my teammates really feel like they can depend on me. Maybe that's why we're not functioning at a high enough level. I wonder if maybe I'm being held back or I'm holding their team back because I don't believe I can depend on them. See, this starts a process of rethinking now, if you're a follower of Jesus, of, of praying and realigning with God's purposes and then applying those purposes in everyday experiences that involve teams. So where are you investing your time, your talent, your treasure, your network in pursuit of being part of a team? I want to let you have a moment of silence just to reflect on that. Where are you investing your time, your talent, your treasure, your network, all your connections as it relates to the team you're on. And if you are on a team, do you have a virtuous mission defined by a specific specialized uh, focus and commitment? Who supports you? Who advises you? Who coaches you? Who cares about your well-being? We had this fun experience of that with our fly fishing guide on, on Friday. He was looking out for us, calling the best out in us, being a peer with us, on one level, he's, he's, it rained, he got wet, it was windy, he was getting cold. Uh, but he's the one who's allowing us to have this experience. And all of us jumped into it, really. We committed to it. So all of us had a fantastic day. At the end of that long, long day, covering a lot of mileage on the beautiful Deschutes River, having caught some fish and released them and had a great fun lunch on, uh, on the side of the river, we, would all, we could all say, literally, that was an awesome day. I would love to do that again. So the church is a family of families and a team of teams, a place where there are people who will support you, advise you, coach you, who care about your well-being, and for whom you can do the same thing. You can support, you can advise, you can coach, you can care about their well-being. Not as a quid pro quo, you do this, I'll do that. Unfortunately, often in the church in, around the world, specifically in Europe and America, there's such a low level of commitment and alignment that you would have a hard time thinking about to, in, who could I depend on in this church? Who could depend on me? Where would I go for advice, support, coaching, care? Why is that the case? It's because you, you have to get scary close and be vulnerable to participate in a team. You can be part of a team and be superficial and just whatever. But to really get the most out of a team, you have to be vulnerable. So we show up, it's low-level vulnerability, but our, our guide says, hey, let's see you cast. And rather than pick us apart, he said, hey, do a little bit of this, do less of that, try this, try that, and help us refine our techniques. That's powerful, don't you think? That's embarrassing to say, gosh, you know, I haven't fished while, I just don't feel that good. And that's okay, not a problem. I have a friend who is a vocal coach, at a very high level. 
that everybody, whether you're a big deal singer or you're a neophyte wanting to learn how to sing, when you show up uh, in his studio, it's embarrassing to be you because you're saying, I really can't sing or I'm not singing very well. And you're apologizing, perhaps. You're embarrassed. You're feeling vulnerable. And what this guy does, does is to say, hey, we'll sing this. And he didn't say, oh, whoa, that was flat, that was sharp. He'll say, you know what? Uh, you're singing at 500 cycles per second, and this note is 550 cycles per second. So all of a sudden, he helps you to learn some techniques, own your experience, and by being vulnerable, you're saying, I'm going to trust you to lead me into a better version of singing than I have yet experienced, or to repair some damage that I've done singing in ways that aren't good for my throat, my vocal cords. This is the power of a good team. It allows us to be necessarily vulnerable to say, I need to learn. I need to grow. It's an open-handed approach. And by trusting ourselves in that process, we're elevated, we're lifted up. Now, you might not be a professional singer at the end of the process, but you'll be a lot more confident in singing. And you'll know the things you can do to improve your singing, right? And so the church is supposed to be that kind of a place. It's a family of families. You're on your own, no family present, but you're part of a family. Somebody's whole family is part of it. This is a family of families, but it's also a team of teams, Everybody can be on some kind of team at some level in the life of the congregation. You can be on a one-day serve team doing a habitat. You can be on a one-day build team in Mexico with Project Serve. You can be on on an ongoing feed the homeless and the hungry team uh, that can go on for years. You can be part of a life group uh, that becomes a team of sorts. You can be part of a teaching team, uh, a worship team, etc., But this is why the church exists. It's a community in Christ and with Christ and for Christ. Now that is an interesting, you know, kind of a motto theologically, in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. It's meant to be a functional thing. Functional as in, uh, the Bible describes us as a body, a bride, a household, a temple. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're the household of God. We're a temple in which God resides through his spirit. And there's a lot of other metaphors used as well. That's what it means to be part of this vibrant, transformational community called the church. It's part of uh, being part of a family of families and a team of teams where we can be vulnerable and open and responsive and grow and develop and have an awesome experience, right? It was, like I said, rainy and cold long and exhausting being on that river all day. But there was a deep sense of joy and satisfaction that comes with that. We grew. We experienced some good stuff. It was just drop-dead beautiful, right? And that's what our experience in life is, is meant to be. As long as though we hold back from being on a team or we give minimal effort to teams, uh, we'll never experience that. So that's why we set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is. It's not like we're just looking, at, looking toward heaven, so to speak. Because heaven is going to come down, right? When Jesus returns, it will be a new heaven and a new earth. So we're not just living a postponed life, waiting for that to happen. But that the Word of God tells us to, uh, to put our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. So that then as we lower our eyes to what's going on in the world around us, we're sensitive and responsive to Christ's presence through His Holy Spirit, guided by His Word in the company of His people. And in that aggregate of people, we're part of teams, temporary teams, seasonal teams, perhaps lifelong teams, with a specific special focus and purpose and a virtuous mission. 
This is what makes the church the hope of the world rather than the hype of the world. And until we as a congregation and every church likewise functions in this way, we will no longer uh, be the hope of the world, we'll be the hype of the world. But when we start to function this way and embrace these things that we find in God's word, we move from the hype that, that this, the cautious and cynical culture around us assumes is true of the church. Oh yeah, you're those, you're those people that do hypocritical things. But as the church starts to own our new identity in Christ, what, the church, what people will say of the church and experience of the church is, I thought it was hype, but now I see it as hope. So let's look at some scripture. Uh, about the church not being just an irrelevant institution, but a dynamic movement of God's Spirit. Uh, I want to focus specifically in the time we have left on the Apostle Paul. Saul, uh, the rabbi, provocateur, a persecutor of this uh, emerging group of people who are followers of Jesus, who then becomes Paul, the international man, uh, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's writing to some people in Philippi, which is in northern Greece, uh, call those the Philippians, uh, they live in the, the, the town of Philippi. They're a church now uh, that Paul helped establish. And in this letter, on chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being uh, united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Not just thinking the same way, group think, but being like-minded, focusing on Christ who will transform your mind. Having the same love, not fake love, but the real love that Christ wants to teach us to receive and to give. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of elfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not just about you, it includes you, but it's about us and him in us. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Does that mean you don't take care of yourself? No, it just means that you take care of yourself so that you can uh, value others and care for them with all humility. Not just looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see the transformation in that? Powerful. It's not just about me, it's about us in him. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not in this sense of, oh no, we're going to get dinged by God, but fear and trembling as in, we stand on holy ground before a holy God. I fear and tremble with joy, with awe, with an overwhelming sense of, I can't believe this is happening, it's so good. This is the God that loves us, it's the God we now serve in the name of Christ. Why? Because he says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose as you hold firmly to the word of light. That's Philippians chapter 2. Paul goes on in, in, in uh, that chapter to talk about Jesus, who is the example for this, who though God humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, even gave his life on, on our behalf, and God raised him up so that at, at the name of Jesus, there will come a time when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he is the Lord. So then Paul goes on in this letter, further in chapter 2, to talk about some examples of real teammates. He's now uh, writing to the Philippians, uh, uh, possibly uh, from prison, um, and, and they're, they're, they've heard he's going through some difficult times, so they've sent him some help. 
And he wants to then be helpful to them, even though he can't be there physically. So he says to them, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Wow. Paul has helped shape a team where people like Timothy emerge. That, that Paul can depend on him and, and Timothy can depend on Paul. And now the church in Philippi can depend on Timothy as part of this extended team. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. And now he gives this metaphor about his relationship with Timothy. He says, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And because they've had an experience of team, and because the Philippians have had an experience of team, they understand what those values are. They understand the power of that, the cost of that, the suffering and sacrifice that usually goes with that, but also the deep joy in the Lord that comes with that as well. And so he says, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I'm going to resolve these things that I'm, I'm, a, I'm involved in. Uh, the, the Lord will resolve them and I'll be back with you sooner than later. But in the meantime, I'm sending Timothy. He goes on to say, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, they had sent Epaphroditus to help, who went and helped. Um, and now that he's done that, uh, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. He says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. He's an awesome teammate on your behalf and mine. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The sorrow of what I'm going through, but then the sorrow of watching this guy whom you've sent in love to help me, suffering and perhaps dying, right? Sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him. Hold people like this in high regard like Timothy and Epaphroditus, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Does that not sound like the kind of team you'd like to be a part of? There, there, there's such deep feelings for one another. Uh, we can laugh together. We can cry together. We care so much about each other. It would grieve us and make us sorrow if something happened to each other. In a tight spot, we can count on each other uh, in the good times, we can simply enjoy life together. That, that when we introduce uh, our teammates to other people, uh, they, they get the benefit of that community that now is expanded to include them. See, teams aren't meant to be so exclusive that nobody gets access. It's just that they have to be focused and committed to their mission. But the beauty of a, of a team with a mission is that lots of people are connected to it. Lots of people are, are blessed by it and then are also motivated to be part of similar teams. And they've seen teamwork modeled for them. Now, in Romans 16, I, won't, I, I don't have time to read this, but I, I suggest you read this chapter. Uh, Paul gives a list of people he considers partners in Christ. It's a long list of people. The whole chapter is names. Now, some names are familiar. Others are obscure to us. But all those names matter to Paul. It's like if you've ever read those genealogies of Jesus' history in Matthew and Luke. And you read them and your eyes glaze over. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Who cares? Why? Why did they put this in the Bible? 
Well, if somebody who is knowledgeable with that list sits with you and talks it through with you, they'll say, now this name and this name and this name, and they start to tell you the stories. If you tell me a bunch of names, I don't really care, honestly. I mean, oh, that's nice. But you start telling me the stories, you got me. I'm entering into uh, the story behind the name. And this is what Romans 16 does. Like the genealogies of Jesus do, Paul gives us this glimpse into this community, a team of teams, a family of families in Romans 16. Again, some names familiar, some obscure, all of them mattered to Paul. Why? He knew he could not do his ministry without them. He knew that they couldn't do theirs without him. That's how powerful they were for each other. And that's why there was such deep love among them. So when he's writing to them, it's a very tender thing that he does in this long list. I hope you read it. But now let me say this. Teams are tricky. Teams are tricky. Why? Because they're comprised of people. And as you know, everything is easier except when people are involved. Things would be perfect at your workplace, in your family, if there were no people. It would also be pretty lonely. And because people are, well, shall we say, they're just not perfect. Well-intentioned, but not imperfect. And sometimes not even well-intentioned. We live in a fallen world filled with fallen people. But in Christ's redemptive work, we're becoming something that is really us, but is a version of us that we were meant to be. And yet, along the way, teams are really tricky. They can easily go sideways, but they're always worth the risk. I, I can tell you, if, if, as you're watching this message, that you've been a part of teams, you say, never again. Maybe a team uh, at work, a team on the, on the sports field, uh, a team um, in a church. Never will I do that again. Completely natural to feel that way. Big mistake. Actually act on that. Some teams work, some teams don't. A friend of mine was a phenomenal college football player, All-American, um, played on a team that w w were national champions. He's drafted to the pros. He goes to this phenomenal team that he's so excited about, only to discover these people don't really care about each other. They're all the best athletes he's ever played with, but they're all about themselves. And he said, it's so frustrating because if these guys were for each other, they, they would be unstoppable. As it is, they're having this you know, kind of indifferent season. They'll be great one minute and not the next. Why? Because they weren't working as a team. He'd seen teams that work well. So if you've been part of a team that didn't work well, uh, you maybe are the catalyst for that team working well. Maybe you get to manage up and influence the rest of the team and, and, the, and the captain and the coach. If you are the coach, you're the captain, it might be daunting, but you commit to being the person who God will use on that team and God will provide the resources more often than not. Sometimes, unfortunately, you just have to leave that team and align with another one. Never, ever say, I'll never be on a team again. Just be smarter about the team you join, wiser about the way you participate. And don't expect the team to meet all your needs. Join that team saying, what can I contribute? What is it that I can receive as I, as I open myself up to this dangerous journey, fraught with peril, of being part of a team that holds something important in its hands and is willing to uh, suffer and even sacrifice for that. Why? Because it's a righteous mission. It's not just about human ego or avarice. It's about being a net blessing uh, to the world. So we see that Jesus experienced this uh, with his team. Uh, we see that Paul certainly did. Uh, even good leaders have tough teams. 
Sometimes great teams uh, are great teams in spite of their leaders because the team just functions together really well. We see this in sports, business, and in ministry. Um, I want to give you a final example from Scripture. When Paul was at his lowest ebb, years later, he now writes to Timothy, who is, who is a pastor. Uh, and he writes this, in, in, and we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 19-21. He writes, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world more than Christ, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. They haven't necessarily done anything wrong. They're just not available. They've got other commitments. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Well, this is a bombshell because, uh, you know, a decade or so earlier uh, or more, uh, Mark had been part of a mission team with Barnabas and Paul. If, if you remember, Barnabas was the guy that reached out to Paul when nobody wanted him on the team. And of course, Paul grows to greatness in company with Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul have taken Mark on a mission tour, and Mark has freaked out, flipped out, checked out. He was overwhelmed, he's young, he's immature, and he leaves the team. Well, Paul is not going to have any more to do with Mark. So now they're going to sign up for another missionary journey, and Barnabas says, let's bring Paul Mark, and Paul says, no way, never. Paul and Barnabas then have a split over this. Paul aligns with Silas, they go off, and eventually Luke joins them. Barnabas takes Mark. And under Barnabas's tutelage uh, and care and <laughs> good counsel and coaching, Mark rises to the occasion. Now years later, when Paul is in prison and doesn't know if he'll ever see the light of day, he says, said Mark. So there's been a beautiful reconciliation there. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he deserted me. He's, I mean, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You see, Paul is talking about <laughs> how tough teams can be, but how important they are. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Ooh, a reference to a previous team with Daniel, referenced in the Old Testament. Daniel and the lion's den. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. How? Through the Holy Spirit, but through teams. The people in the community that care for him and that he cares for because they have a shared righteous mission. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And by the way, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Um, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Putin's Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. It's a mouthful of names and places. All of these people uh, were connected to Paul through teams. Uh, some of those teams were, went sideways. Other of those teams were right on target. So let me finish by saying this. We are in a team-building season at La Jolla Community Church. Will you join us? Will you commit to it? If not, why not? Uh, it could be that perhaps uh, there's another church that you could then be a, a, a key and valuable team member or team leader. 
Uh, every church right now in San Diego is going through very difficult times. I, I received an email this week calling uh, me and other pastors to be praying for other pastors. For the, for the whole body of Christ in San Diego is in tumult right now. Not through conflict, but just through the pain and, and, and drain of what we've been through with COVID. So many people have left churches for all kinds of obvious reasons, you know, uh, COVID. But also, uh, it's been a way of discouraging people, distracting them. And so pastors are, are, are feeling the sadness and the sorrow of that. And so the prayer is that we can build one another up in Christ and build up the body of Christ together. And so every church right now in San Diego is team building. So if, if you're in this church or you're in another church and it's not working there, and, and with all your best efforts, it doesn't seem to, 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 you don't get traction to be part of the team. There's lots of other places for you to connect and serve. It's one body of Christ, one church, different congregations. If you need to go to a different congregation, do that. But be sure you go with the idea that you're going to commit. You're going to join in. Otherwise, you'll be simply a free rider. You'll be a consumer of religious goods and service or a critic of religious goods and services. What God is calling you to be is a collaborator, a colleague in his ministry so that you can be the church in the company of other followers of Jesus to reach the community that Jesus came to save. So that's our primary uh, audience. The church isn't our primary audience. We're the core audience, so to speak, the core congregation. Our primary audience is churches are the people in the community beyond the church. So you are desperately needed and valued as part of a team, certainly at La Jolla Community Church, but in any other church in which you go. We have people constantly moving to other communities, local, uh, locally across the country. And I always think what a gift they're going to be to the church where they land. If I know where they're going to go, uh, I'll call the pastor and say, you are so fortunate to have this person coming your way. Welcome them in Christ. These people are Timothys and Epaphroditus and Priscilla's. Uh, and, and, and these are the men and women who are going to bless you greatly. And it starts in a congregation. So we're calling our congregation out of this COVID fog to say, okay, let's be part of rebuilding the teams that allow us to complete and fulfill our mission. We need more uh, leaders. We need more people to be on teams. Teams need leaders. Leaders need teams. Uh, we need more of both to strengthen our church and influence our community. So stay tuned as we move into this new season of life together. Let me tell you one first step where we want to make and take is to bring on board, to call, to hire, if you will, an associate pastor. Uh, right now we're maintaining with the team we have. We have an excellent team. Uh, we've pivoted well during uh, COVID. We have a great team, enough to support our church, but we don't have enough of a team to be able to uh, grow our church because we'd be raising expectations that we can't fulfill very well. So we need to bring an associate pastor on board um, as a first step so we can start to search and have that person in place by the fall, God willing. And we need to raise funds to do that. So would you be praying about what you can contribute to help make that happen? And we'll be uh, reaching out to you uh, specifically about that. But you're placing a team, and you're a way of supporting the team that God is, is uh, putting together here to support the team of teams is the next step for all of us in this team-building season. So let me ask you this uh, final question. What situations, what people, what causes, what opportunities are calling out to you? That's how you start to make progress in figuring out the team with your name on it. What's calling out to me? What kind of teams are functioning that I can join and help uh, advance? What kinds of needs do I see that there aren't any teams yet in place that I could be part of responding to those needs and opportunities? 
This is the beautiful thing about teams. Uh, you, can, you can change the focus. You can create a new team to find a focus that you haven't considered yet. That's where we are as a congregation. So ask yourself those questions and then try some things. Be wise, but don't procrastinate. Don't lose the opportunity, the power of this day, this season in your life. Find your team. So Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you that you've called us all to be part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of God, a holy temple that you inhabit through your spirit. And now, Lord, I pray that you help us be wise and discerning as we see what you've put in our heads and our hands and our hearts by way of beliefs and values, spiritual gifts, and the fruit of your spirit. Uh, and lead us into teams. Help us to take that scary next step, to be scary close and open ourselves vulnerable to be, to be part of a team, to perhaps even lead a team. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk with him in newness and fullness of life one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.